Starting in quarantine without an end in sight, we're bringing to you advice and good conversation from one human to another. This is Sonica and Rhea with Armbridge, a podcast we hope to be informative and re reflective of the everyday world around us. Thank you for joining us today. It is April 30th. Last week, we talked about our hot takes on the music industry, and this week, we decided we're going to do things a little bit differently. Chelsea and I thought it would be interesting if we hosted the podcast on our own for one week each month and had our own segments with our own guest of choice. So, introducing our very first guest, one of my close friends, Rhea. Hello. So, today we're talking about how to live a fulfilling life. Um, very loaded question. So, as I was preparing for this, I asked myself the question, um, what does a fulfilling life even look like? Because I think that's an important question to ask. And I think the answer lies in what we think a fulfilling day looks like. And so I wanted to start off by asking you, how would you describe a perfect day? It's very funny doing this all over again because... <laughs> Oh god, this is our second take. For those of y'all listening, we had to restart this because we went through some technical difficulties earlier. But, um, okay, here we go again. What does my perfect fulfilling day look like? I I'm think so it, fascinated. I'm sure. For me, I don't like routine much, so I don't know that I have, like, one ideal day that I want to, like, repeat forever or whatever, like, for whatever amount of time either. Um... But I know it definitely involves balance. Like, I know I wouldn't want to just be having fun straight or just, like, only be working um, for the entire day. So I think as long as I'm keeping myself interested, not working myself too much, that's Very a fulfilling point. day. Wow, I've never heard that before. Oh, no, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree with everything you said, although I'm probably guilty of, like, trying to recreate the perfect day every day. Which makes for some bad, uh, I guess, just, like, thoughts. Because mm -hmm. not every day can be perfect. So if you fail, which you inevitably will, because it's impossible to have, like, a perfect day. It's impossible to feel like, like you didn't go wrong somewhere. When really... You're trying to do something that isn't real. What do you mean? Like, like perfection. Like, right. being a perfectionist. Um, it's a very, like, negative thing almost, which is kind of ironic because you're trying to strive for like the epitome perfection. of positivity, right? But in the way, because you're trying to be perfect, any imperfect, like, things in your day... In quotes, imperfect. Imperfect. They have a really bad impact on you. Mm -hmm. I'm using you, but I really mean me, but it's easier to use you. <laughs> Don't attack me like that. No, it's cool. It sounds less like a therapy session. <laughs> and more like I'm just being philosophical. That's what therapy, but it's free. And no one's a and professional. <laughs> so... No, I get that, yeah. yeah, I think, but, like, if you want to have a fulfilling life, and I think, actually, no, this kind of goes into the de definition of, like, what you call a fulfilling day anyways, if your life was perfect, and if you were creating this hypothetical perfect routine, and everything was going smoothly, then there's nothing to fulfill, you're just repeating the same thing over again, right, um, as I said the first time we recorded, I just finished reading The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F yesterday, and it touched on a lot of the topics we're going to cover today. Um, one of the things that they mentioned was exactly that. Like, humans thrive on problem solving, but we simulta simultaneously see problems as, like, a negative thing in our lives. But in order to have a life that's, like, that has meaning, that has value, that's not just, like, empty, um, you need to have problems because... The only way we add value to our days, the only way we add value to, like, our experience as a human being is through solving problems. I think on that note, we can get to the next uh, topic, mm -hmm. which was um, kind of the balance we were talking about. Mm -hmm. And I think you can break up everything you do in a day. You mentioned this 
during the first take. <laughs> um, into instant gratification and delayed gratification. Right. And so I just listed some examples of what those look like. Instant gratification would be things like exercising or like watching TV. Mm-hmm. And they do have like long-term impacts like if you're exercising every day then you're obviously working towards something yeah (laughs) but it's also just a time where you're present right you're like focusing on something immediate yeah and then you have things like I think I only wrote down one word for delayed gratification which is practice Mm -hmm. because that's really all it is and it doesn't matter what you're practicing people have like different things they practice it could playing a sport, playing an instrument, but these things are just like instruments to the same thing. Like, mm-hmm. You're looking for something bigger. Yeah, they're yeah. they're all just ways to make ourselves feel more happy. Mm-hmm. And so, and as as I mentioned earlier in the problem solving note, those are like the problems that we're trying to solve. Like, oh, I wish yeah, I could exactly. do this technique or like this. You know, those are the things yeah. we work. Some things take more time, and so the things that take more time will be in the delayed gratification thing, mm-hmm. like, and then the things that you can just do every day, it's like reading, watching TV, or listening to podcasts, like, these are things anyone can do, and then, so, obviously, these are, like, things you can control, but then you have things you can't control, like, literally anything that's why you can't control it because I won't be able to name them right now because they're like it hasn't happened you don't know like you don't know they're gonna be a global pandemic is there gonna be a recession exactly like these are things you can't you can't plan for and so um I don't know where I was going with that but there they are I think it's a pretty simple concept straightforward right like yeah oh I I mentioned um so, oh, this is like a major plug. This is philosophy podcast. Oh yeah, both listen to. It's called Philosophize This. this. Yeah, it's it's really good. I'm listening to it. I'm on. Um, I'm doing it chronologically, and I stopped on Aristotle, mm-hmm. and he actually helped me like plan this podcast a bit. Ooh, interesting. And so with the instant gratification and delayed gratification. That's Aristotle. Um, it's so Aristotle words it in a different way, which I thought was you've probably heard before. But the instant gratification, those tasks are an end, and then the delayed gratification things, those are a means to an end. So that mm, kind of helps mm-hmm. look at it in a different way. Like you're working towards again, you're working towards something something bigger in the future. Hey y'all, this is editing Sonica real quick. After this segment, we decided to take a quick snack break, and while ASMR would have been a lovely addition to this episode for some, I imagine many others would find it just as unwelcome. So, to better your listening experience, I replaced all the eating noises with geese. Don't be alarmed. Alright, thanks. Back to the episode now. Oh yeah, fruit. I don't want to make annoying eating sounds. Great break. ASMR. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll edit it out. You're good. Maybe don't. (laughs) No, I should do that. Come tune in for the the philosophical discussion. Get surprised by the ASMR. Plus ASMR. You never know which one we're going to get. We're truly unstoppable. Who Breaking says you can't have everything? Exactly. Okay, back to philosophy. Yes, ma'am. Okay. So, where was I? Aristotle. Yeah, another Aristotle quote. It's kind of, there's a nice shift. Um, he says, we deliberate not about ends, but about means. Mm. So, basically saying that we all want the same thing we all just want to be happy we just have different ways of trying to be happy right and so how do you be happy 
Mm-hmm. I feel like personally, I wouldn't even go far as like being happy. Okay. I feel like we could call it happiness, yes, but it's more of like, you know, somewhere in your conscience, in your intuition, there's like that voice, right? And it's like, it knows how you're feeling. Even if consciously you're like, I'm fine, it knows something stirring down there. And I think what we tend to call happiness is more of just like that conscience being quiet or like settled. That's a cool way to put it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I feel like in my happiest moments, um, there's no like nagging feeling at the back of you, right? Yeah, everything is just like still there. Which is kind of sad because it makes it sound like all the bad moments in your life, there's just like voices of you. (laughs) (laughs) Like telling you like, stop, or like you suck. That's kind of a, a big thing, like, especially in our generation, like having anxiety. Mm-hmm. even if it's just like on the back burner it's still there right and especially now when there's no distractions it's a good thing but it's also a bad thing because you really get to like take a good exactly. look at yourself yeah yeah and I don't think yeah. it's a bad thing it's just uncomfortable so yeah it's it's a it's a tough thing yeah. it's good it's good for you though it's good, um, but it's just hard to confront, yep. I think, yeah, in a way, it's an opportunity because mm-hmm. that you're never going to get again. Um, <laughs> yeah, I kind of went off on a tangent, but, like, the original question that you had was... How to be happy. Right. And... I have some notes on this. Um, I think, well, this is kind of my only note, but I think the number one step, and you can go from there because this kind of answers all your problems, is just to know who you are. Oh, yeah, self-awareness. Know thyself. Yeah. Know thyself. (laughs) (laughs) That's the number one key to being happy, I think. Mm -hmm. So... I don't know if it's necessarily the solution, but I think that's the important first step because if you're not self-aware, then, like, where do you go from there? Yeah, exactly. Like, right now, I'm reading um, Catcher in the Rye. Mm-hmm. Have you read it? I read part of it. I still, I really want to finish it, though. I read it, like, in middle school. I didn't understand it. I still, I still, it's still a little bit odd. Like, I don't know but. if you remember the premise of the book. But Not really. it's just this teenager, this very troubled teenager, and he's just, like, narrating his life. And it doesn't make any, like, sense why the author is doing it. But one thing that it really showed me is that this dude has no idea who he is. Mm-hmm. And obviously, there's a lot of conflict inside of his brain because, like, he's the one narrating the book. Mm-hmm. And you can see how much it affects you not knowing who you are. Oh, yeah, for sure. And not knowing who you want. Because nothing is answerable after that. Exactly. That's the first step. you got to know what you want. And then you can figure out the means. Yeah. Like, it's hard to do pretty much anything if you don't know what you want out of life. Mm -hmm. And... But I also feel like there's a misconception that, like it stays constant for mm-hmm. all of our lives. Like, I feel like um, the reason a lot of people... Also, wait, big disclaimer before we continue. This is not advice or this is not, like, a how-to or a self-help type of episode in any way. We're just discussing our feelings and our ideas. And if you disagree, then that's cool. That's great. Thought I'd get that out of the way. <laughs> but um, what was I saying? Right. So um, I feel like a lot of the reason why people tend to be so scared of like finding or becoming self-aware is because they feel like they have to like confine themselves to this one definition and like stick with it forever but you don't because like what you want changes nothing's constant and that's fine what if like if something makes you happy in the moment then good that's your self-awareness at the moment and then you can confront that later if it changes yeah but yeah um yeah, I think being self-aware of what you want, like, right now, 
without worrying about whether it'll change or like whether that's like the real deal is important and taking your first steps. That's that's a very good point. I was there's this other podcast I was listening to, um, and he kind of says the same thing, as in like a lot of people feel like there's this inner calling that they need to fulfill, but a lot of people don't have that. And, and that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, You're still it's... a normal person, and it's really okay to like just go with the flow and find out what your passion is through experience that's a beautiful thing yeah you well. do and that was another thing the book I was reading um that I was talking about earlier it talks about the same thing where it's like a lot of us we feel pressured to have this big grand dream like oh I'm gonna like publish this best-selling book I'm gonna be a rock star I'm gonna like be a famous wrestler but the, the reason we feel so pressured to like have goals like that is because we're bombarded by success the book was saying that like we are only ever presented by the media nowadays the like top or bottom 99.99%. So you either see the absolute like worst thing someone did or you see like this kid who got accepted into all the Ivy Leagues, won like a million dollars in scholarships and that, that, that. And so because we're constantly bombarded with so many people who are like in this like top rung of society, we feel pressure to do the same one. Really, it's like, is that actually what you want or do you just, think you should be there because everyone else you're presented is the same way and it's partially the media's fault but like you know we we can block it out just oh yeah it's really hard to like separate your actual inner desires versus like what you feel obligated to do yeah very much so Mm -hmm. like whether it's by like people around you or the media is a big one because it's so like ingrained or it's it's like a part of you almost like the you just the media you can see it the way yeah, yeah the way society set up right now you can't avoid it exactly that was another um. thing that i want to talk about like it's very hard to actually be completely shut off like it feels like almost i need noise some sort of noise like all the time that's not a good thing. I agree. Yeah. And you were saying, we can just move on to that question. I know it's not like in your flow of questions, but you mentioned like yeah, phone use, right? And stuff. Yeah. Um, so what do you think about that? This is a big one because I feel like it's one of the like number one main obstacles from having the quote unquote perfect day, which does not exist. But if I having were a good to day. having a That's good day, yeah. I have some rules in place, but I said, but because like I break them often, mm-hmm. but like today, oh, I should tell you what the rule is. My rule is like from eight to 12 AM and PM, I don't use my phone mm-hmm. and it's actually a pretty good rule because it was pretty like dramatic the um well okay I still kind of use my phone for the same amount of time but it was more productive right which I think is also okay but I noticed that I was able to like control my phone usage more mm-hmm. um once I'd already disciplined myself to like not use it for that for a long, period of time for, for sure that day mm-hmm and it was a very uh, simple thing, but, like, mm-hmm. it solved a lot at once. Oh, yeah, for sure, because then you don't have that to distract you, and you can, like, focus on the things. Because phones are literally made to be, or not phones necessarily, but, like, apps and, like, all the yeah. things on the phone are literally made to be addicting. Like, you exactly. see, you press the home screen, bam, your wallpaper is bright. You have everything on one screen, like, just right there for you. The app colors are bright, so you're, like, tempted to push on them. Then once you go in, there's, like, a bajillion things you can do, and it's just a rabbit hole, right? And um, we were mentioning, like, instant versus delayed gratification type stuff, right? This phone, this is instant gratification right here. When you click on the app, you're like, oh, my attention is, like, here right now, and I'm enjoying this right now. But then you keep spending time on it, and you're like, 
there's a little empty little feeling in the back of your mind. Like, what am I doing? This is wasting time, but I'm here and I'm still here and I'm still here. But see, yeah, I think disciplining yourself and kind of like putting it away for a little bit teaches you to just makes you sound like a baby but like we're all just apes <laughs> with more sophisticated thoughts I mean that's literally human beings I don't think I've changed since like fifth grade me too it's okay at the core <laughs> no I I agree with all of that yeah they're like designed to be addicting mm-hmm. and but I think knowing that puts a lot of weight off your shoulders because self-awareness yeah and they in the uh, process of like trying to use your use your phone less, um, it helps to know that it's not all your fault. <laughs> right. And that like, yeah, it, it's not. It's not it's all, not your, all fault, your fault. Like, but it is your decision whether to use it or not. Yeah, you can you can control yourself. I mean, it's hard to find a balance between like cold turkey and like twenty four seven. Yeah, but trial and error. Yeah, just whatever works for you. Because there are a lot of things I love on my phone. Mm -hmm. Um, Like my meditation app. (laughs) And Animal Crossing. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. Yeah, I think... I mean, I don't think I do anything super unproductive on my phone. It's just the amount of time that I'm on it. Right. Um, it takes away time you could have used for other things, and then that makes you feel guilty. Yeah, I don't yeah. like seeing that notification every Sunday about how much I use my phone. Oh, my God, for real. Uh, They'll be like, you went down 11%, 9 hours and 45 minutes on average. And I'm like, that was <laughs> down? No, mine's just going up, so I don't know. <laughs> mine's going down, but it's not very good progress. <laughs> They're like, you used your phone for eight hours. That's 10% less than last week. And I'm like, oh. Yeah, there's no, there's no justification for that. It's just bad. <laughs> it's, it's a very weird thing, because you can say it over and over again that, like, you want to stop. But then you don't. It's easier said than done. This is a bright little rainbow that catches our primate brains. Yeah, there's probably some way to, like, take advantage of those same instincts, but, like, use your phone less. Mm -hmm. But I think quarantine has helped me go on my phone less, even though I'm going on it more. Because I would be in school for most of the time that I'm using right, my Right, I think part of it's more is because now we have, like, our assignments and stuff online. Yeah. Versus before it was just for so, Instagram. It's so hard because, like, normally my laptop is only for, like, work. Playing. Oh, playing, okay. Yeah. Wait. Or, yeah. Yeah, no, I do most of my work, like, in person and then my laptop it only really like plays music and so right now it's just weird to take this thing that like usually just for fun yeah Mm -hmm. and I've heard a lot about how like it's hard for your brains to like make the switch too yeah and so Mm -hmm. I'll just be working but I'll also be like chatting with strangers on a live stream right (laughs) which is supposed to help me study but but uh, lo and behold, I yeah. find ways to procrastinate. <laughs> Fridays yeah. are bad. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Oh, I wanted to talk a bit about MBTI. Yes. Okay. Because I feel like. Wait, hold up. For those of y'all who don't know, MBTI stands for Myers Briggs. I don't know what the TI is, but it's a personality test. There's 16 types, the combination of letters. Um, it assesses whether you're introverted, extroverted, like how you cope with problems, how you learn, how you make judgments and decisions and stuff like that. Um, you could take it for free online if you want. But yeah, that's what it is. Go ahead. Proceed. Um, I feel like it's helped me get to know myself a mm-hmm. bit more. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, like in terms of 
a lot of things. They're like crazy descriptive. They, you get like a full essay about yourself. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy stuff. I yeah. I but I mean it's and then there's like YouTube rabbit holes you can go down for each personality type, and I mean I I think they're accurate. Like there's probably well there's it, probably not, but there may be some like. 30-year-old white guy who has, like, a psychology major shaking his head right now. Like, no, but this is wrong. <laughs> if it helps, it works then for it me. helps. But yeah, also, it works. in a way, like, you you don't want to put yourself in a box. Oh, yeah, for sure. And be like, this if, is what I am, like, forever. So, yeah, it's only part of your identity. It just kind of yeah gives you, like, for me personally, I'm an ENFP. That's my type, right? Um, I never really associated myself with, like, idealism. But that's, like, one of the defining traits of that personality type. And I think it's only after taking the test and reading that that I was like, wait, that is true, and that is a problem that I should probably work on. So going off of the self-awareness that we mentioned earlier, yeah, that was definitely one thing where when I was reading about my personality type, I was like, huh, that's interesting. And, yes, I agree. I definitely like that, but I never went out of my way to call myself an idealist. But now I know, and um, I'm working on using my brain a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of things that, like, I didn't necessarily not know, but, like, I never put into words in my brain. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't think I ever would. It would just be sort of kind of like a foggy thing. But then once you see it on paper, like, written up for you, mm-hmm. that, like, like, they had this thing about, how you work best or something it was something very specific about like a workplace environment mm-hmm. and it really it really felt true and so um yeah what yeah okay <laughs> yeah yeah I agree I think that's one thing that kind of ties into the whole self-awareness thing we were getting at earlier where it's like I need to know myself, but, like, how? And I found, like, I used to obsessively take, like, personality tests over the course of middle school and, like, even the beginning of high school. BuzzFeed. Um, BuzzFeed, no, those don't count. What type of cake are you? (laughs) I have a chocolate mousse cake. That's fascinating. Let me improve myself based on this. No. But, like, these types of personality tests, I used to be, like, super, super into them. And um, it just helps you to get to know yourself a little bit better and then you can kind of see you know what parts you want to work on um whether you think it's true to start with it's just a good place to start in terms of like seeing some value seeing some like traits and then seeing like whether you identify them with them whether you want to identify with them or not and so I found it helpful I know a lot of people critique personality tests but it works for some doesn't work for some whatever yeah I think it can only benefit you all right. What next? Um, I don't know. Was there anything that, like, you feel like elaborating on? Okay, well, as I said, I read The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F yesterday, <laughs> and I have a lot of pointers from that. If I could, I could go on my phone's notes. Um, okay. The book was really, like, thorough. If you haven't read it, I would 100% suggest reading it, and this is coming from someone who thinks self-help books are the plague. Um it was very honest. It wasn't shallow or surface level at all. And it kind of puts you in the face of a lot of like really uncomfortable truths. But it's good. I really liked it. Uh, here, let me scroll through some of my notes from the book. Yes, you get a great break. Okay, Um, so one of the things that the book highlighted was the fact that pleasure and success and this kind of stuff, they're not destinations, they're simply byproducts. And I think in terms of fulfillment, since we're on this topic, a lot of us spend a lot of, or some people spend like their entire life looking for pleasure and success, but that's not, you know, it's not a destination, that's like subjective. Yeah, exactly. Like there is the there is an example in the book where um shoot. <sighs> Let me find the name so I know who exactly I'm referring to. 
Megadeth, that's what it was called. Okay, so there is an example in the book about um, one of the members of Megadeth, a heavy metal band oh. from the 1980s, 1990s, that time period. Um, but they were talking about one of the members and how he was kicked out of uh, another band early on in their career, right as right as they were getting signed with a record label, right? And he was super, like, upset about that. And he made it his life's objective just to, like, spite them. And, like, whatever he would do, he would make it his band, his new band, more successful, more, like, famous, more well-known than these people. Um, and he didn't do that because that other band was Metallica. <laughs> and so um, both bands were very successful. But in an interview later in his life, um, I'm trying to figure out what, what was the guy's name because I'm not into death metal and I know someone's going to be like you don't know the de- mega death metal <laughs> and I'm gonna be like, uh-huh. no I don't let's see Dave Mustaine that's the guy okay so Dave Mustaine um, later in his career he was giving an interview and he was like I know I've sold like 25 million albums worldwide and like I'm super successful but I still consider myself a failure because Metallica is more famous than me um that's and like so, my biggest fear right there. Because that's a see, sad that sentence. shouldn't be the destination. His destination was success. It was being better than Metallica. And he was successful, but, like, he didn't think so. And that's the whole point. Like, pleasure and success, they're not destinations because you're never going to attain that. You're never going to, like, once you get a million dollars, you're going to be like, okay, but I this guy has two million. I want two million now. So exactly. those are just byproducts, and you should enjoy them as they come. But that's not the goal. So that was yeah. one thing from the book that I thought was – it's fairly straightforward, but a lot of us overlook it anyways. We're like, oh, I want this and this and this. But, like, that'll happen as long as you enjoy the process of working towards it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that makes me feel a little guilty because I don't – I don't think about what I have done or what I have already a lot. It just going, going. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is, like, ingrained in our biology, mm-hmm. like, to always look ahead. But, yeah. I tried keeping a gratitude journal, but it didn't really help. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Because every day would just be, like, um, what am I grateful for? Tomorrow. And that that's already unhealthy. So, um, or it would be, I don't know, it would be very hard. Maybe I should keep a gratitude journal. <laughs> I, I think I one thing we've, like, I, I have tried keeping a gratitude journal or, like, writing gratitude statements, um, sentences, I don't know, writing something I'm grateful for every day. I've tried that in the past, and I find... find the further we regress into quarantine, the more illiterate I become. By the end, I'm going to be making, like, grunts and noises, and that's going to be my communication. <laughs> I'm going to forget how sentences are. For work. real. I've already made so many typos and, like, text conversations. It's terrible. Anyways, um, gratitude journals. I think one common mistake a lot of people make, which is very bold of me to say as, like, not even an adult, but um, I think we're all very shallow about it. Like, I know even I, when I first started out, I would do, like, very cliche things like I'm grateful for my health and I am grateful to have food and water don't get me wrong Mm. those are things we shouldn't take for granted and those are things to be grateful for but we kind of write it down without giving it much thought it's like oh I'm grateful for food I'm gonna eat tomorrow this doesn't mean anything to me (laughs) right so I tried making a conscious effort to like write things down that are not as generic that I like genuinely don't take for granted or I not to say I don't not to say I do take, like, food and water and, like, shelter and basic stuff, quote-unquote, for granted, but, like, I'd be, like, I'm grateful for the opportunities and tools I have to achieve. Like, I remember the day the first podcast episode went up, I was, like, I'm grateful that I have the necessary tools to make this happen because not everyone does, and I'm lucky I have these earbuds and my laptop and, like, an editing software because that's something a lot of people don't have. So I was, like, okay, that's something I'm grateful for. That's, that's not a good one quote-unquote generic or like that I don't give much thought to yeah you actually feel grateful Mm -hmm. for it yes yeah I'm seeing some of mine um yeah I I was doing a pretty good job I don't know 
But I guess I just wasn't feeling any different. Right. On paper, it looks like it may have been helping, but it wasn't mm-hmm. really. But maybe I, I didn't do it for long enough. I did it for like a month. That was very that's inconsistent. a long time. I think that's more consistent than I was. Oh, no, but it's like barely filled out. Like, oh, <laughs> I did like okay. maybe like 10 pages in the month. Um, yeah, right now I don't have a journal because I like a journal journal mm-hmm. because I ran out and it's been kind of tough because when I'm like really feeling something, I have nowhere to put it. That's why I just hoard journals. I have too many. Yeah, I drive by. I can disinfect one. I really one. one. You. <laughs> I have some, but I don't know. I really liked my last one, but mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to just face the fact that like it'll be a downgrade no matter what. <laughs> Anyways, well, yeah. Um, another thing from the book that I kind of thought was interesting. They were saying in terms of fulfillment, like. And this, this goes off of self-awareness. It brought up the same idea. But um, they were saying one of the biggest contributors to, like, an unfulfilled life or, like, feeling like you're a failure is having bad values. And so I thought that was super interesting because it was one of those things that I kind of acknowledged in the back of my, ma- back of my mind, but I never really had put in words for me. Um, they're saying here, let me find that note. I took so many notes. Jesus Christ, this is huge. <laughs> okay, so yeah, basically they said that good values are reality-based, socially constructive, and immediate and controllable. And those are kind of the criteria for good values. So you look at good values, and I think the ones I came up with after yesterday were um, compassion, creativity, and progress as like the three, three, three things I want to focus on right now. And um, they're saying, like, bad values are, you know, trying to be better than someone else or, like, trying to always be happy. And that's, they mentioned that's what's wrong with most self-help books. They're trying to find some, like, magic formula to make you feel perpetually happy. But, like, negative emotions exist. And that's not a good value to have because you can't control that. You can't control what makes you sad. Like, if someone dies, you're not going to be like, oh, I'm happy. This is fine. This is an opportunity to grow. And it's like, no, you're sad and it sucks. And that's fine. Right. So yeah, basically bad values are not reality based, not socially constructive and not immediate and controllable. Good values are also um, something you constantly have to work on. Like you can't stop being compassionate. There's no like threshold for, okay, I'm officially compassionate. There's nowhere else to go from here. Okay. Versus, like, if you want to be better than someone, you have your own metric for, like, what constitutes being better than someone. Like, making more money, selling more albums. part of, like, never feeling You, one, never feel better. And, two, once you sell more albums, what now? Then you have to find, like, something new. So, compassion, that's reality-based, right? Like, I can be empathetic with people. I can be kind to people. Um... Immediate and controllable, yeah, totally. If I'm put in a situation where, like, I have to empathize with someone, it's up to me whether I want to close my mind off or, like, listen to them and, like, try and understand their point of view. And uh, socially constructive, yes, I think compassion is socially constructive. Same with creativity and progress. You apply those three principles, and, yeah, they work because I constantly have to work for those. They follow the three criteria. And I thought that was interesting because, like, it's so simple. Like, you're, everyone's like, yeah, have good values, but we kind of underestimate the power of them because your values are what determine everything you do in your life and as the book says if they're not good then like you're basing all of your decisions off of questionable morals and yeah that's not good I've never actually besides like beyond the basic universal values I think I've never actually tried to do that, so that's mm-hmm. cool. You should read the book. I liked it a lot. Yeah, I want to. It made to me right very now. uncomfortable, but like, I may find the blink list. You might, yeah. That if they have that, that would be good. Do you want to talk about failure? Sure. Mm-hmm. And we'll end <laughs> off on a really, really, really uh, morbid note. Oh. Contemplating mortality. That was another. These are two other things from the book that like we didn't really cover. Cool. Okay. But um. They're fun topics to discuss. 
Okay, so first, failure. What is your hot take? <laughs> failure. I'm trying to think of what comes to mind. I don't have, like, things that are 100% a failure. Mm-hmm. They're not, like... Thank good. You have a healthy mindset. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe... Yeah, we just haven't I think, experienced enough. That's also valid. Yeah, yeah. I think that has part of that has a little bit to do with it. Um, I mean, I used to when I was like little. Like there would be moments where I was like, "Oh, that like that went completely that wrong," and like right. I can't go outside for a week. But now it's like um, that went a little bad, or like that could have been better. Mm-hmm. Which I think it doesn't hurt equally as bad. Like. Like, every time I have a music performance, because mm-hmm. that's a big moment that one. <laughs> where it's either, like, I did well or I did not so well. Like, okay, this is a good example. I'm thinking of a time right now where, like, it was recently, too, so it's an accurate representation of, I guess, how I go about dealing with a failure. Mm-hmm. And there were good things about it, so I guess... I do have, I try not to think of it as just, like, black and white, but... On the scale of good and bad. This, good and this bad is closer to, is closer to bad. Mm-hmm. And, well, the thing is, I don't realize until after it's happened, mm-hmm. which is always funny. Um, because in the moment, it always feels the same, no matter what performance. It's just performing. No matter how good or bad it was, you just kind of fall into, like, this trance mm-hmm. and you're like you're not here and you don't know what just happened it's like you black out for for real no like two literally. minutes and 30 seconds yeah. and as maybe part of like doing well like something that has to happen but yeah I looking back and thinking about that performance um I maybe don't think about it at all. Maybe that's an option. that part of our brain. Because I'm not, I, I haven't actually, like, reflected on it. So maybe, there you go. Maybe that's how I do progress. <laughs> I don't. No, but, like, okay, hypothetically, if we were to. If I were to, like, fall flat on my face. Mm-hmm. It would be tough. Like, it's a really bad performance. Um... I have a story. May okay. I? Okay. Yes. In terms of like failure, um, okay. Basically, I'll get at what the book was getting at, and then I'll use my example to kind of support it. But um, in terms of failure, the book says that failure is inevitable. That's obvious. But one of the defining things about failure is that most people don't even go for things because they fear failure, right? Why do we care about failing? Why do we care about failing? Because we want to be that 99 percentile that the media shows us and we want to be this like dashing success. It doesn't make sense because like you listen to interviews, you listen to like, or you read biographies, whatever. Everyone in the 99th percentile says that the reason they're in the 99th percentile is because they failed a bajillion times and one thing worked. Life is entirely trial and error. Why are we so scared of failing? Like we're gonna fail and that's okay is what I was trying to get at. So with like my performance, I think that's like a very, very like simple, oversimplified example, but like we can go with it for conversation's sake. Um, I had this performance where it was, I won't say the name of it to protect my privacy, but yeah. you know what I'm talking about. Basically, it's a performance I had been really wanting to do since like I was super little and it was like a big citywide singing competition and I was very excited for it. But then the time got around, and once I was on stage, I just froze. Like, I was so scared. I didn't have a good time. I was nervous the whole way through. That showed in my singing. Like, it was just not pleasant. And I remember afterwards, we went for dinner. And while I was proud of myself for, like, actually making it there and, like, performing to start with, I went in the bathroom, and I just, like, cried. Like, I just let loose. And um, to me, that was... A failure because I was like wow I worked my butt off for this this is a goal I had for like god knows how long and I just bombed it in hindsight like that's okay it was bound to happen I can't perform well now unless 
I screw up a bajillion times and that like one point where I make it and it's like it matters if I do well then great that's because I made every possible mistake I could have in the past and also that reminded me of kind of um thinking about it as just progress like you said you one mm-hmm. of your values like if, if you or you have done better since that performance you've had better performances so I mean, if you're going to do good all the time, you're not going to... You're not learning anything. Progress. Yeah. Exactly. And it's good to have something bad to compare good things exactly. to. That makes the good things feel better. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. Like, failure is... It causes problems, right? When you fail, when you hit rock bottom, when you mess up, like, there's a negative emotion attached to that. But because of that, you have something to work towards. Like, okay, now I'm going to make this next performance better I'm gonna relax I'm gonna breathe before I get up you know it you need it and then on the contemplating mortality half of it ooh, fun stuff um basically the book said we're all gonna die duh right but you look at any and everything that exists nowadays and everything ever invented is because we try to avoid our mortality you look at government systems you look at religion you look at anything like that that is some guy trying to immortalize his existence by creating something like that'll precede their lifetime like everyone knows they're gonna die right but the book talked about what is it a conceptual an immortality project is what they called it right so you try to create your conceptual self um outside of your physical self and that's your identity so let's say I don't know let's say I want to start a religion (laughs) right that religion is a collection of my ideas and my values and the things I believe are the right right and I'm going to go around trying to convince as many people that hey this is this is word this is what I say is right right but in the end I'm just some like person trying to make my ideas live longer than I will. That's not to say religion is bad or anything. It's just like someone was trying to immortalize their ideas and their existence beyond their physical self, right? Yeah, that's one way to look at it. Mm -hmm. And that's what gives us fulfillment is essentially what the book was trying to get at. Like, we like working towards things that are bigger than ourselves because we know we're not going to last forever. So might as well do something that like, that is makes very us much what it is feel like we're contributing something yeah. after us. So do whatever you want, y'all. <laughs> do whatever you want. We only have one and, shot as far as we know. And keep an open mind. Yes. All right. Um, now that we've gotten a little too deep in the conversation. Every last 10 minutes of the podcast, we do a thing where it's called deep questions with friends. Just Google some deep questions on your phone. And this is like rapid fire existential crisis questions. Oh my God. Okay, yeah. we have to move you You can't there. think. Just like answer. So let me see. How does this work? Deep questions? Yeah, just deep questions. On the web. Okay, deep questions. Okay, I see a website called. Okay, pick a number from one through 200, dang. 47. Okay, okay. Oh, this isn't deep. Oh boy, okay, that's Uh, okay. Okay, you start so I know where we are in the deep. Okay. Do you think humans are doing more harm than good to the planet? I think that's hard to answer as a human. <laughs> Rapid fire. Don't think, just say. <laughs> oh. Let's look at this. I think we're doing more harm than I good. I think so, too. Yeah, I think it would be kind of weird to say we're doing better. No, we literally caused the sixth mass extinction, so, I mean... In the grand scheme of things, we're you not doing You can't ignore that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, your turn. Do you think that morals are, like, universal or relative? Oh, okay. Um, I think basic values are universal. I mean, you look at all cultures, and across all cultures, they're saying, you know, treat 
others with respect. Don't kill people. Like, basic stuff is pretty universal. I don't think anyone would condone murder or, like, being mean to someone else, right? But I think once you get into, like, the values we were talking about throughout this episode, where it was, like, compassion, creativity, that's when it starts becoming subjective. Because, like, not everyone's going to be like, I want to be the most creative person on the planet. Like, Yeah, (laughs) I think it also may be just, like, um, we all believe the same things, but the way we live it out is a little different. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, would you rather be called vain or insecure? Hmm. Vain. Why? Why? Well, okay, this is what people call me, right? Yeah. I feel like a lot of people call people vain when those people are really just, like, comfortable with themselves. Mm-hmm. So, like, misconstruing them? Yes. That's interesting. I don't know. I feel like, for me, I thought vain at first, and then I thought insecure, because I was like, generally, when people call someone insecure, they're, like, projecting their own insecurities onto them. Like, I will never be like, oh, that person's so insecure, and, like, not feel irked by something they're doing myself when it's, like, my fault. Am I making sense? You know? I don't know. No, that's very true. I'm fine with either, though, because, honestly, either point to me being comfortable with myself and someone else not being comfortable with me. So, like, whatever. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, hmm. Oh, I thought of one that... um, my psych teacher asked this Ooh, in the beginning of the year. Okay. Yeah, so it's going to be kind of interesting. But um, he described the scenario where if you could live in, like, paradise for five years and, mm-hmm. yeah, you're completely relaxed, you're comfortable, and you're eating, like, your favorite food, you're having the best time, but after the five years are over, you'd have to forget everything that happened. Would you do it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean... It was why hard not? for me. Right? I mean, like, so basically the premise is that you have five years to just do whatever, live a perfect life, and then yeah. just, like, erase it all at the end? Yeah. I mean, if I don't remember it, then, like, fine. And I'll be happy in the present, too. So, I mean, I see a win-win. <laughs> That's true. But also, it's five years gone from your life. 70 and 75 aren't going to make too much of a difference to me. (laughs) Mm, Okay, well, I said no. But, I don't know. I mean, it kind of reminded me of right now. Because Mm -hmm. quarantine is kind of just like being able to do whatever I want. Without going outside. But. Right. I'd like to remember it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Your question. My question. Uh, let's see. I'm not sure, actually. I'm searching up stuff, but they're not, like, deep enough. They're just like, if you had $20, what would your yeah, ideal date be? movies. <laughs> no. What's the one piece of advice you'd give to others about life? Like one, only and one thing that you believe deep in your soul. Pressure, cause like one. Um. Uh. What about you? Man, I suck at rapid I fire. Like, no, you're good. Mine is mine would bias your response. So. Yeah. That's kind of the whole point. Um. Because <laughs> I'm drawing a blank. I think. Maybe just to find balance. I think that's find good. balance? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to maybe, like, summarize how I try to live life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Balance. That's good. Yeah. Do you want to hear mine, or do you want to yeah. ask me what's... Okay, I think my one piece of advice is super... It sounds super basic, but, like, God, is it true? Just be yourself. Like... Ah, that's a good one. It's super basic. I was going to say, like, be genuine, but it kind of goes off the same thing. There's so many, I'm not like some like high achiever, scholar, go-getter type person that's like, okay, I got to chase this and plan this and do this. I just, I'm just myself and I just 
be genuine with people around me and that's gotten me pretty decent places in life so just be yourself that's a good piece of advice yeah yeah life is too short not to be yourself Mm -hmm. not everyone's gonna like you but those who do will like you even more when you're not trying to be something else you know so that's a good one just vibe (laughs) what's the best and worst if you want piece of advice you've ever received best piece of advice I've ever received is stand up for yourself because like I feel like we take that that's another one that sounds super generic like in words but like once you actually put it in practice it's it's hard to like do that sometimes definitely your beliefs are not always in everyone else's best interest and they're gonna fight you on that and so stick to your wits uh worst piece of advice I've received This one's kind of funny coming from me because I'm, like, the token optimist in every situation. But, like, be positive or, like, always try to be happy. Like, that's... No. No. Sometimes things suck and you can't avoid it. And you shouldn't... You shouldn't gloss over, like... Yeah, like, if I'm feeling grief or if I'm feeling upset about something, pushing it down and being like, no, I'm fine. It's just going to make it even worse, right? So, like, deal with it. Yeah. And then get over it. Like, the faster you confront your negative emotions, the faster they'll be over. So just suck it up and deal with it. And then, like... It's been a long time since I've seen Be Positive. Like, I follow a lot of, like, quote pages on Mm -hmm. Instagram. I haven't seen Be Positive in a long time. I think people are understanding that, They're finally starting to see, no, that doesn't work. Yeah, that... Yeah. That's very superficial. It is. I can't... Yeah. God, I hate that piece of advice. They're like be positive. I'm like, I'm not always going to, listen, I'm going to be optimistic about every situation. I'm not going to be like whiny and complaining about everything that happens to me, but I'm not also going to be always happy. And I'm not going to disregard my negative emotions just because I want to look positive. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know about the best piece of advice ever, but, um, there's this Tabitha Brown video I was watching. Queen, I love her. <laughs> you introduced me to her. Thank you for that. She's You're the welcome. most wholesome person on the internet. There's no her. debate. She's becoming more popular. It's nice. I know. It's great. Um, she said something about not everyone is going to understand um, you or what you want mm-hmm. or your goals. And it was a small thing, but I still remember it, so it it felt really nice that, that, um, mm-hmm. that, yeah, I got that reminder, because sometimes, like, especially right now, I'm, the only people I see are my family, mm-hmm. and a lot of the time, they don't really, like, get what I'm doing or trying to do. It's just rebellious teenagers, no one understands me. <laughs> and so... No, but it's valid. Yeah, that felt nice to see, that, like, oh, I don't... Have, have to, to make understand. them understand yeah. yeah yeah so that felt good I can't think of the worst piece of advice maybe the opposite like to just try to conform to what everyone wants I don't know when the last time I heard that was but like oh like the do your duty type stuff I think there's a balance like you shouldn't yeah. completely discard your duties but you shouldn't be like sacrificing yourself for them either exactly yeah um my last question how do we know if we're doing the right thing that's a good one. Uh, the easy answer is just like if it feels right, but then like if it feels right to you to murder someone, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that's dark. Like morally, <laughs> then the the baby answer is like if it feels right, and it also is making the golden rule. Mhm. But it's so much more complex than that. Also, my hot take is that we don't, we don't, and that's okay. Maybe you don't, yeah. Maybe, I think it's trial and error. It takes a repetitive effort to see really what is... What was the question? Right, how do we know if we're doing the right thing? Yeah, you just kind of have to test the waters. Yeah. Like, you try one thing, whether it's, like, by yourself or, like, with other people. Mm -hmm. Like, does it feel right? If it doesn't, move on. Yeah, Yeah. exactly, trial and error. There is a paragraph in Damien favorite book as you know um, yeah so that there, there's a paragraph that says exactly that I don't remember exactly what it says and currently I've lost the book so I was kind of saying exactly that like, there's a voice in our head that always knows exactly what's right for us 
Um, it's our choice whether we want to listen to it or not. And some people they do and they, you know, be feel quote unquote fulfilled or whatever. And then there's those who kind of like lose touch with it. And it's to the point that they can't hear it anymore. And there's just a sense of dissatisfaction down there. So right is, in my opinion, subjective, very subjective. It's just listening to the voice. Whether we want to listen to what we feel is right for us or not, and go off of that. No one knows what they're doing. Wing it. It's <laughs> very true. I kind yeah. of like, I think the Tabitha Brown quote made me feel so good because it kind of reminded me also of another thing. I don't know where I saw it or read it, but mm-hmm. like the idea that no one is like you, which is, it sounds very simple when you say it out loud, but like, well, you a lot of the time, time you try to conform to a certain like ideal or like live up to certain expectations or try to emulate someone when it's kind of cool that like you can you're creating your own mold in the process. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no formula. Everything I'm saying sounds so generic and cheesy, but like when you think yeah, it through, it, sounds it makes sense. Generic. Yeah, but it, it's all really, like... It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably why it's a cliche, because it's worked. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, what's That's your last cliches question? cliches become cliches. What was a place that transformed your ideas, thinking, perspective, or made you come alive in a new way? Oh, God, I like this one. I was actually thinking about this last night. Um, it's, like, a super underwhelming response I don't know we went on vacation you or I, I told you about this but like listeners don't know um, my family and I we went on vacation to Pensacola and we stayed like along the beach for a week in like the middle of December and it was the best experience of my life and everyone's I don't know everyone's probably like because it was like a consistent 30 to 40 degrees it was freezing cold no one was there nothing to do. It was the best experience of my life. There's, I don't know, there's just something about sitting there in the freezing cold, unable to, like, play or, like, do anything and just, like, watching. That was so calming and, like, I don't know, it was beautiful. Beaches in the winter are underrated. Like, it was cloudy, it was cold, it seemed absolutely unideal, but that was the best time I've ever had at a beach. Oh. So. I've never been to a beach in the cold, actually, so. You should try it. Basically, that beach was the best experience of my life. I was in a really, really, like, bad place when we went. But I remember after going back, I was, I don't know, it's not like everything was solved or whatever, but it, it was just a nice little safe space that I... In your memory. Yeah, that I just go to every once in a while. It's, again, everything I'm saying sounds so generic and cliche, but it was a really nice vacation. Y'all should go to Pensacola in the middle of the winter. <laughs> happy vacationing um the way that it's special for you it won't be special for anyone else they like, we'll have to true. find our own pentacola in the winter <laughs> but it's nice that you have like a just a memory where nothing went wrong mm-hmm. oh yeah well I don't know if nothing went wrong as I said I was not very happy during that vacation but it's like a it was just calm it was chill do you have anything like that? I do have, like, small ones. I can't think of really big ones. The first thing that came to my mind, because I've been thinking about it a lot recently, just like you said, I don't remember thinking about it a lot because it just, it comes up and I'm like, oh, right. And this then, is a thing, right? Feels, yeah, it feels nice. Um, even still, it's this memory of being on the train in India. Mm-hmm. and just sitting there and I was like on my iPad listening to music I was writing some things but like I lost them forever I wish I had them <laughs> but yeah I was on like the top bunk it was just a peaceful yeah moment. good time yeah but the thing I is- have a poem from that Pensacola trip too and I read it last night and I was like this is objectively bad literature but you were inspired enough to write, so... Yeah, exactly. It was like a whole sonnet. Yeah, I wrote, like, a poem. I emailed it to myself, and then I lost it for Yeah. It probably would have been bad, 
but okay, it was your feelings. Like, yeah, yeah, that's true. I think that's a good place to end. Yeah, I think so too. All right. I'll read the outro and then we can hang up again. Um, what has started in quarantine has now come to a non-temporary end. Hopefully you guys all enjoyed our impromptu speed round question session at the end. Again, um, we would like to credit a lot of websites this time. What websites did you use? I use Mantelligence again. What's <laughs> funny website name. I don't know. I used Journal Smarter and what else is Purple Booting Optimist. Budding optimist. <laughs> Literacy. It's okay. We're all losing in quarantine. Made.com. The science cool. of people.com. I didn't even, yeah, I was just like scrolling through them, but they were there. Cool beans. All right. So thank you to those websites for our Shoot. questions <laughs> again. We didn't really have any questions asked to our listeners this time, but thank you again for listening. And thank you to our brains for coming up with these lovely ideas and conversation topics. Yay. Oh, also thank thank big thank you to The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F by Mark Manson. That was a great book and I based a lot of my conversation off of it. So yeah. Um oh, philosophize this the podcast. Many things to thank this time. But yes, thank you to all those sources for sparking conversation this podcast. Um, we hope that you enjoyed this and we hope that you'll continue to join us every Tuesday for more advice and shenanigans. Until next time, this is the Armbridge Podcast. Goodbye.